So I came in this morning, week seven or week eight, whatever it is, to preach to an empty room and got to the front, turned around and saw all these amazing faces. Finally, I'm not preaching to an empty room anymore. I can see you and I appreciate uh, all the effort it took to get those pictures and to print those pictures out. Everybody's name is printed out underneath their picture and in Boy, the effort of putting people where they normally sit, wow, that's incredible. And so I came in and was able to see your faces today. I will not be preaching to an empty room. I'm preaching to you today. And so thank you for all the effort for doing that. I broke into tears when I saw the people, God's people, gathered together, even if we're having to do it online. So This morning, we want to get into uh, the message. You need to be opening your Bible to the book of 1 John. And while you're finding the book of 1 John to follow along with me, I just want to be very transparent and clear with you. We, We are a church that preaches the gospel, how you can be saved, how you can know that you have eternal life. We're a church that preaches Jesus Christ, the sinless life, the death on a cross, the burial, and then three days later, the resurrection that gives power to defeat sin and death. That's the gospel. The gospel is simply Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again for you and for me. I preached the gospel on Easter, the resurrection power of Jesus. And then immediately following that, I went into the series in 1 John. And I think you need to know the why. Why would I go to the book of 1 John? Well, as a pastor, my concern is that you would know that you're saved, that you're basing your salvation on what the Bible tells us, uh, God's word tells us is truth, and not on something that you're putting false hopes in. There's nothing greater a pastor can do than to make it clear if you're saved or if you're not, if it's genuine, real, and authentic. Right now, there's so many fears going around with this pandemic. I hear people asking me quite often, things are uh, being discussed around me about end times. Is this the end times? Is this the sign of the apocalypse is here? What's China doing? What's Russia doing? What's happening with Iraq and Iran right now? So many people are concerned that this is the beginning of the last days. I am not going to tell you that I believe this is the last days. It sure looks like things are pointing toward the last days, but I say that Like Paul said that, he was pretty sure that the Lord would come back before his end. And I'm sure uh, at 9-11, people had the same kind of fears and thoughts that this was the beginning of the end days. I'm sure there were people during the Holocaust and the wars that were thinking this has to be the last days. Surely we are in the last days. But can I tell you that this is the beginning of days, weeks, months that we have? I can't tell you that specifically. But I do want you to be prepared. Not out of fear, not out of panic, but it would, it would be just wrong of me as a pastor if I didn't make sure that you were sure and sure for the right reasons. Last Sunday, we talked about how God does want you to be sure. Toward the end of 1 John in chapter 5, John says, I write these things to you that you may know that you are born again. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how you can be sure through experiencing a relationship with God. Are you experiencing a relationship with God right now? The hard thing about preaching John, uh, (laughs) he's an interesting author. And this book is incredible in that he does what he 
does normally with his writing style. See, John is different than Paul. Let's do a quick John and Paul versus each other. If Paul were writing this book, it would be very logical. Point one, point two, point three, point four. That's how Paul wrote. That's why we preachers love to preach Paul because we can put it on a PowerPoint. Bullet, 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 bullet. John is not like Paul. Instead of point one, point two, point three, point four, John goes something like this. He gives the five points of his book every few verses. He goes point one, point two, part of point four, back to point two, first part of point three, and then back to point one. That's how John is delivering this message, which makes it very difficult for me to deliver it to you. But the key of this whole book is how you can be sure And he gives five basic reasons for that. And this morning, our big idea, go ahead and type it out. What's the big idea? Is be sure through experiencing relationship with God. And then you see the passages listed because I have to go throughout the book to find it where he points out this specific point that he's trying to make. But we'll go through it and try to make it as logical as possible. The key verse 1 John 1, 3 comes out of our portion today. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying the genuine believer, the authentic Christian, the true faith has a relationship with God and they experience that fellowship experience. I want to stop there because whenever we talk about experience as a believer and experience in the church, we get a little bit concerned and we start poo-pooing experience. You need to know today that John says you have to have an experience of relationship with God. Yet I want to point out that experience does not prove Christianity. Your experience, Christianity does not entirely rest upon your experience for its truth. Your experience doesn't prove Christianity, but it can validate what the Bible says. Friends, as I talk about experience today, I want to let you know that experience is based on this word. Anything outside of this is wrong. And we are experiencing a relationship with God through his word. And I pray you're doing that on a daily basis. Subjective opinion or objective truth. Many people would like to put religion or Christianity in the, in the realm of subjective opinion. You know the difference between a subjective opinion and objective truth. Subjective opinion is, I'm warm. I could say I'm warm today uh, up here preaching, but if Fran Maddock was standing next to me, she'd be wearing a sweater and saying she was cold. She would say, your warmness is subjective, PD. That's a subjective opinion. Objective truth is, Lansing is the capital of Michigan. Whether Marshall, Michigan likes it or not, they were trying to be the capital of Michigan. Whether Marshall likes it or not doesn't change the fact that Lansing is our capital. That's an objective truth. Subjective truth, objective truth. You need to know today that Christianity is an experienced relationship in which you interact with an objectively true God. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. Christianity is an experienced relationship in which you interact with an objectively true God. Are you experiencing God today? We're going to walk into his word. Get your Bible open to 1 John 1, 1 through 3, and let's pray. 1 John 1, 1 through 3, we'll start there. Would you pray this prayer? God, if there's anything you want me to hear this morning, I'm willing to listen. 
Go ahead and give that prayer to God. God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Subjective opinion, objective truth, and yet Christianity must be experienced, but experience isn't the bedrock. Hard concepts to understand this morning. I pray you'll stick with me and try to see what what is meant by uh, John's writing. There is a passage in the Gospel of John, not in 1 John, but the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 25, an interesting comment was made. kind of brings up both subjective opinion and objective truth into one verse. And it's, it's, a, it's a story about a blind man. Jesus comes to this blind man and he heals him. He gives him sight. And then all the religious people, uh, the, the ones trying to declare that Jesus was a fake, came to the man and was questioning the man and questioning the man. And, and they said to them, how can this sinner, how can this one who teaches strange things, how could this sinner heal you? And the man says, interestingly, John 9, 25, he says, whether he is a sinner or not is for you to talk about. In other words, subjective truth. But then he says this, But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see objective reality. (laughs) Subjective truth, objective truth. This morning, I believe we're going to hear that your experience, like this blind man who says, all I can tell you is my experience. I once was blind, but now I can see. Is that happened in your life? Let's go to the book of 1 John. Here we go. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That last verse being the key verse for today. Memorize it, learn that verse. It's about experiencing relationship with God. But John is talking to the people, those who call themselves believers, and he's making sure that they are sure and sure about sure things. Don't forget, his followers are split and divided. There are those in the Jewish background who still want to keep rules and laws for their salvation. And then there's those Gnostics who believe in a special knowledge that that can be taught to them through teachers. And so he's trying to make sure that they're basing their salvation on Jesus and Jesus alone. So the disciples, point number one, follow along, point number one, The disciples experienced Jesus in a relationship. We have in the New Testament testimony of walking with Jesus daily. Objective reality. They experienced him. They experienced getting their feet washed. They experienced his teaching. They experienced Jesus daily. And John starts this book by saying... That which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And by the word of life, he means Jesus. John is saying this is not a theory. Why we believe is not subjective. 
Why we believe it's because of objective reality. We saw it with our eyes. We touched it with our hands. We heard it with our ears. We experienced this. That's what John's trying to say. That's why the Bible is full. The Gospels are full of Jesus' miracles. The miracles were so that people could see Jesus was deity. He had power beyond this world. The, the Gospels that tell us about the miracles prove to us that Jesus is God's Son. But it's more than that. The miracles point to a higher reality in which we can share in. That's why John went on to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship. How can we jo- You might say, well, it's great that the disciples experienced Jesus, but we don't. But John is saying, because of objective truth that we saw, we touched, we heard, you can share in that. Listen to us and share in what we have. And then the Bible gives us the miracles of Jesus to show us his power. But they're more than just stories. The disciples didn't believe in Jesus on a theory. They weren't choosing a superior philosophy for life. Christianity might be a superior philosophy of our life, but that's not the reason to believe in it. The disciples, especially John, is screaming out. We saw a guy that we knew for three years. We saw him die. We saw him buried. We saw him rise again. And we are experiencing him daily. That's what the disciples were saying. That's what John is saying. So you today can know Jesus and experience God through the miracles of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Let's walk through just a couple in Scripture. You don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 6, we have Jesus multiplying food. That's a great story. We love to hear that story, but what does it mean to me? You can find soul satisfaction, like a starving man sitting down to a seven-course meal. Have you experienced that with God? When we look at that miracle, we can see beyond just that day and see what God is like, what Jesus is like. Are you hungry? You can come to him and you will be filled. In John chapter 4, we have the miracle when Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus finds a woman and have a conversation. And in that conversation, he points out everything that she has done wrong in her life. He points out every one of her sins, things that there's no way he could have known, showing his deity. Yet, He loves her. That miracle to me is telling us that we can find unconditional love. Like a sense that God knows everything about you and loves you anyway. That's the miracle that we see that we can experience in. God loves us like he loved that woman. Even though he knew everything about her, he still loved her. And that's a reality for you and me today. And then there's in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus declares peace in the storm. Out on the lake, and they feel like they're going to die. They wake Jesus up. What are you doing? Don't you care? We're going to die. And he steps up and says, peace be still. And immediately the waters experienced peace, and the people in the boat experienced peace. The whole lake experienced peace. Did you ever stop and think that there was other boats on the sea? And because of the experience in that boat, everyone experienced peace. That's what I'm telling you through the miracles today. We can join in and share with the fellowship of Jesus, the relationship with God. 
Has Jesus ever stormed or stilled a storm in your life or even better, given you peace right in the middle of a storm? Then you can relate to that miracle. How about in Matthew chapter 9? The story when this woman who had a, an illness that made her unclean and she couldn't be in public and, and here she is, an outcast, and people are trying to kick her to the side. And yet Jesus declares her his child. He says to her, my daughter. Have you experienced that, a desperate and, and separate life? Hear him call, you are my child. Have you experienced that today? Even though there was nothing you could do to heal yourself, there's nothing you could do to take away your own sin, Jesus reaches down and calls you child. He loves you. You can experience and share in that miracle today, just like Mark or Matthew chapter 9. And then Mark chapter 8. Interesting miracle here where Jesus gives sight to a blind man, and he does it in stages. Stages, what do you mean? Well, when Jesus first begins to heal this man, he asks him, what do you see? And he says, I still see blurry. I see men walking around looking like trees. What happened? Do we think that Jesus shot an air ball? Do you think that he fired blanks there? Do you think that he messed up? No, I don't think so at all. I think Jesus was proving his deity. And he's proving how he works in you and me. He's proving that he gives clarity over time. And that he began to give sight And then he gives more sight. Have you experienced that? Are you experiencing that miracle in your life? That the first moment you came to salvation, you could barely see, and then you begin to see clearly over time. I love that miracle and how we can share in that miracle. Do you see this morning that we can experience Jesus in a relationship just like the disciples experienced Jesus in a relationship? I want to talk about that word koinonia. The word koinonia is next to relationship in point one because that is the term used in scripture. That means an experienced fellowship, an experienced relationship. Oh, friends, don't misunderstand today. There's nothing wrong with your experiences with God, but I don't want you to be solely based on experience only. Base it on his word. Base it on truth. Some of you are very touchy-feely. Some of you wake up every morning uh, playing Chris Tomlin songs on a harp and your life looks like the script to Les Mis. But some of you aren't that warm and fuzzy. And some of you aren't that feeling touched. And so I don't want to say that Christianity is all based on emotion. That's not what we're preaching. But it must be experienced in a relationship with God. That's why Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Have you found your rest in a relationship with God? The second point this morning is that the true believer experiences a relationship with God. Just like those disciples who experienced relationship, objective reality that they saw, you and I can experience a relationship with God, the objectively true one and only God. The true believer must experience relationship with God. I want to stop here just for a second, and I want to make sure you understand that you must have an experienced relationship with God. There's no substitute for that. This is the sole reason why I got saved. I knew as a young man that I had no relationship with God. I had said a prayer. I had been in church my whole life. And yet in my heart of hearts, I knew that there was not a reality because uh, I believe I didn't pray. I didn't talk to God. I didn't spend time in his word. There was nothing there. Are we okay? Okay, 
I just hear beeps and buzzes and bizzles, so I wasn't sure what was happening. So that is how I knew. I knew in my heart of hearts something wasn't right. It was the absence of an experienced relationship that drew me to an authentic relationship with God. I woke my mom up at three in the morning. I said, I'm not saved. How did I come to that conclusion? Because I did not have an experience, a relationship, a daily relationship with God. I'm not telling you that you have to manufacture a relationship in order to be saved, but if you're authentically saved, the truth will be in the relationship and the experience that you're having with him daily. You must experience a relationship with God. With this, I want to make sure there's also warnings. There's always caveats and warnings. As John is speaking here, don't forget, he's speaking specifically about those Jewish believers who are basing their spiritual life on works. He's, he's talking to the Gnostics, which Gnosticism means knowing. They believe in a special knowing. And, and he's trying to make sense out of how do you know for sure? What is it supposed to be based on? But I want to tell you this morning that you have to be careful with what you say God is saying to you. I believe we walk with God daily, but I do not believe that God would speak new information into your heart. In other words, I believe that what he spoke to us is in his word. And if you walk around and if you've ever heard Christians walking around saying, God gave me a message, God told me this, well, then we should be adding it to the back of the book somewhere because it's divine truth. So I want to be careful this morning as you yourself experience this or you hear other Christians talking about God told me. I want to make sure there's a a specific understanding of I felt led to blank versus God spoke to me blank. It might seem very subtle to you and you might not even care at all, but I want to warn you that it means a lot. You're going to run into people who are going to say, God told me that we should get married. Be careful when somebody tells you what God is telling you to do. Look in his word to see what the truth is. You're going to hear people say things like, I had a a dream. I saw John Piper telling me to do this in my dream. Listen, be careful about those kind of things. You would all be a skeptical if somebody came to you and said, God is telling me you're to give me a thousand dollars. Well, of course you should be skeptical. I would tell you to be skeptical of anyone who says they're hearing God speak. And yet as believers, I'm telling you, you must have an experienced relationship with God. And I'm saying that because he leads you. He leads you in your heart. He leads you in your mind. I don't believe he speaks audibly, but you as a believer should be hearing from him. And yet I just told you, be careful of those who say they heard from God a special message. How do I balance this for you? My wife and I were watching a a little bit of Beth Moore. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've said this many times, I am not about bashing people. And I stand behind Beth Moore. I disagree with her on some things, but I don't understand why people are willing to throw her under the bus and declare her as awful. But I watched a video of Beth, and God bless her heart. She was telling her experience. She had an experience where she believed God was telling her to take money and go to a certain bus stop in the middle of Houston or Dallas, wherever she's from. She tells the story, and you know what, friends? I want to say I believe she's authentic. I I, I really believe she's telling the truth. She told the story, and I listened to her tell the story, and she felt like God was telling her to take money, go to this bus stop, and to give it to somebody who had the need. Well, she talks about going to the bank, getting the money, driving to the bus stop in a really not good part of town. And as she pulled in, she's questioning whether she was hearing this or not, and then she saw a lady 
at the bus stop. And she knew immediately it had to be her. So she went up to the lady and said, I believe God told me to give you this money. And the lady was very thankful and said, I needed this money. I just want to tell you, I believe Beth felt led. But I want to be cautious about any leader standing up and telling you, God spoke to me these words. Why do I say that? That story worked out well in that circumstance, but I worry about the results of you hearing that. Every time you hear something in your heart, are you sure it's of God? I don't want to doubt what happened there, but if you go to pretty much any bus stop in the inner city with a bunch of money and you hand it to somebody, they're going to tell you they needed it. I'm not downplaying it, but what I'm saying is, what if she'd gone to that bus stop and got hurt and somebody had hurt her? Would that still have been God telling her to do that? The story worked out fine, and I don't, I'm not here to bash, bash Beth more. I'm not. I'm I, I thankful that she teaches God's word. But in her speaking about her experience, some people could get the wrong impression that God's going to physically tell me to go do this and that. Do I believe that God leads? Absolutely. Julie and I experience that quite often. God lays somebody on our heart, and we reach out to them, and, and they needed that touch. That happens. God puts it on our heart to, to, to minister in some way, and we do that, and it was a need. And we believe that God leads. I just want to warn you, don't base everything on feelings and emotions. Don't base everything on, on a piece about something. I'll say that because in the garden, Satan came and he, didn't, he, he wanted more than anything to give peace to Adam and Eve to break God's word. He wanted to give them peace. He lied to them to make them feel peaceful about disobeying God. And so be careful. I know this sounds hard. This is a very hard truth. And I hope you're getting the balance today. Some of you are going to leave saying he hates Beth more. Hey, you need to know this guy here has stood behind Beth and other teachers that say things at times that can be misunderstood. I stand behind them because it's hard to stand up and talk and have people not get the wrong idea of what you meant to say. I have defended Beth. I have defended many teachers when people have left our church over that. I'm not bashing anybody today. I'm just simply wanting you to use discernment. When we talk about experiencing God, be careful about saying, God told me that you're to do this. Or God specifically told me. Be careful. I believe we're led. I believe he's given us a spirit who pushes us and guides us and directs us. But I want to be very cautious about people giving their experiences as if they are God's word. Your experiences are not God's word. Only God's word is God's word. So as John talks about experiencing God, we're experiencing God in a relationship through the shared experience that they had with Jesus. And we need to have our own relationship with God. I want to walk you through that. In John 10, 27, John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I believe that's true. We listen for God's voice in our life, and he talks to us, not telling us to, to go here and do this specific thing, or take, but he leads and guides us specifically and most often about our own choices and our own sinfulness or obedience. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I hope this is happening for you. We need to listen, and we need to hear God speaking to us, Romans 11.8 tells us that there is a problem. 
It's quoted from Isaiah. It says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear to this very day. So you need to understand that when we have a relationship with God, that's been dissolving and and, and hard because the world and the sinfulness is dulling our spiritual senses. And so you need to know that we have a deficit. We need restoration and regeneration. And then Jesus comes along on the heels of that in Matthew 13, 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. As a believer, you experience a relationship and fellowship with God as you begin to see and hear him in your life. We're going to get to how you get that in just a moment. Lastly, Paul in Ephesians 3, 18 May you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That word grasp, the word grasp there, katalambano, katalambano means to seize or to overtake. It's a military term. Paul is saying, I pray that God seizes your heart and mind. I pray that God overtakes your eyes and your ears so that you can spiritually see and spiritually hear. That's what Paul was wanting for believers. That's what I want for you. This morning, we hear John saying, We've seen it, we've touched it, we've heard it. It's objective reality, not philosophy. And then we that listened to the John and the other apostles, we didn't objectively see it, yet he's given us eyes to see. We didn't physically hear Jesus, but he's given us ears to hear. So this morning, I ask you, how can I continue to experience an authentic relationship with God? How? How can I have this, Pastor? Number one. Put yourself in the presence of his word. There is no substitute for that. Read what he says. Listen to his words and let these words guide you. The Holy Spirit will bring to light scripture. God is not going to give new revelation to you. He's going to use the revelation that he's already gave you. Base your life on his written word. You got to get into that word daily. I'm going to encourage you to read the Bible daily. You need to have a plan to do that. You can't just wing that. Have a plan. Secondly, you need to memorize Scripture. Have a plan for memorizing Scripture. That's why our church loved Awana. We were teaching children verses. And I've heard the complaints over the years uh, that the kids are only learning verses to gain an award. They're They're only learning verses to get a piece of candy. Well, you know what? Anyway, we can do it. Let's get God's Word in children's hearts. I, to this day, still have scripture that I memorized in the King James Version back in the day in Awana that I still cling to. We need to be memorizing his word. We've got to get in it and read it, but then we should put it in memory. And then participate in growth groups. Be a part of a small group. Christianity was not meant to live solo. You've got to be experiencing this relationship with God and the fellowship of believers. That's where iron sharpens iron. It helps one another to grow. And then secondly, number one, we put ourselves in the presence of his word. Number two, pray in the presence of God. Right now, you're probably looking at these points and you're saying, seriously, pastor, did you really just tell us to read the Bible and pray? You can't say that. That's too obvious. That's too simple. We already know that. (laughs) I want to give you this quote. The thing 
you most need is a greater sense of the things you already know. I'm going to say it again. Somebody ought to type this in, put it on Pinterest or do a TikTok something. The thing you must, you most need is a greater sense of the thing you already know. How many of you would agree that this is something you've heard before? Eat right and exercise. That's true. Eat right and exercise. I can't tell you the number of times I wanted to punch my doctor right in the nose. This young, healthy, fit guy looking at me and he says, well, Don, you know what you need to do? You need to eat better and you got to get out and exercise more. I know that. But he's looking at me and saying, you say you know it, but you don't seem to put it into practice. Believer, I'm going to tell you today that this might seem so simplistic that you want to pass it by, but don't pass it by. The thing that needs to happen most in your life is what you know needs to happen. Get in his word and pray. Experience God in relationship. Get on your knees. Talk to him in his presence. And it's through that daily fellowship with God, your experience grows. Are you experiencing God in a relationship? I believe that's the first way, John, even though he spread it out all over the place in this book, the first way you can know for sure that your faith is authentic is that you're experiencing a relationship with God. Are you doing that today? I want to close and, and Christopher Card's going to lead us in a song that talks about the relationship with Jesus inside of us. And then we'll be going to our lobbies. But let me pray. Oh, Father God, I spoke many things today, hard things, balancing issues about experience. God, help us to balance these things. Help us to truly live hearing from you daily. But help us to hear the things that you've written in your book. God, help us to stop seeking new revelation and help us to trust in what you've given us that we should put to memory and into effect into our lives. And God, I pray that we would be able to have minds that discern when we hear people saying, God spoke to me, that we would be skeptical in the proper way, but not hurting people or not judging others. But God, help us to be wise. But above all, God, help us to be sure because we are walking with you daily. And we know that you are the objectively true God and we want to experience you in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.